you are being watched. The government has a secret system, a podcast that recounts every episode of Person of Interest. I know, because we made it. We designed the podcast to continue our bullshit, but we see everything. Random numbers of the week. People like you. Episodes the average viewer deems irrelevant. You wouldn't watch it, so we did. But I needed partners. Someone who had never watched this before. Hunted by weirdos on the internet, we record in secret. We will never find them. But, newbie or diehard, if your episode's up, we will find you. Hello, and welcome to the Library for Podcast of Interest. This is a rewatch podcast for person of interest featuring two veteran operatives and one newly initiated. My name is Justin, and joining me are my two associates, my veteran operative Jude and our new recruit, Anna. Jude, Anna, I got through the intro without making a stumble over anything. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Uh, I definitely took a nap today. I took like a 90-minute nap after work today. Yeah, I nice. made the... Excellent slash dubious choice to put a comfy armchair in my office. And <laughs> it's both terrific, but also the the frequency of uh, I'm going to sit down in the chair and eat my lunch, which has turned into me taking hour long naps in the middle of the day has gone up significantly. So I am well rested, but uh, I definitely didn't get everything done. I thought I would get done today. Ah. Uh. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm, you know, hopped up on, like, vindictiveness, or I, I don't quite know what the emotion is here, but a, a, uh, a friend sent me a uh, manuscript to review, um, and... When you're oh, talking well, about manuscript, is this like a fictional, like a novel? No, or no, a this, is, this is for a publication in a scientific, okay. this is a scientific article. Okay. And said friend sent it to, sent it to me being like, I think that there's probably some problems with the stats. So <laughs> I would like your opinion on this. And I proceeded to wrote, write 1500 words <laughs> eviscerating this thing. It was really fun. <laughs> it was it was full on like your paper is bad and you should feel bad. Now, I, are I you worked in now, is the is the was the person who asked you to like review this the the writer of this article no or like it was the, it was the editor was like, of the journal okay so this is not like you like getting a kick out of like destroying your no. friend's ability to do math some okay some no, cool. no. i just wanted to, gotcha. i just wanted to see like how yeah. much of an basically somebody bro- somebody came to you and said uh i need you you were basically a statistical hit woman on this one <laughs> yeah basically basically um my opinion of you has increased like a lot more upon determining that fact. So, okay, <laughs> okay, cool. okay, okay, okay. Um, but yeah, like that one of one of the things, one of the kind of like things that I do is you know pre peer review for scientific journals, and it's like sometimes you get sometimes you get articles that are like really good. Sometimes you get ones that are like mediocre. Sometimes you get ones that are bad, but in like a not fun way. And sometimes you get the ones where, like, you can work in words like mystifying and, <laughs> like, and utterly inadequate. That sounds r- really fun, honestly. I, I can empathize that, Yeah, that. that sounds really good. So basically you yeah. get a bad pod And it's, and it's anonymous, right? So. 
Oh. I'm just it's like 1500 words of like just like the most scathing review. It was great. It was a lot of fun. Speaking of scathing reviews, we have an episode oh, yeah. to talk about. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh I I get last call too. So we are doing three episodes tonight. That is because I we I think we all hate the first episode. We have at best mixed feelings about the second episode. And so we really actually wanted to include a third because we didn't want to be a complete bummer. Yeah. Um, because I think like. Well, a bummer for us. This is, from- the, the inclusion of this third episode is entirely for us. You, the listeners, I'm sure, will enjoy the the content we produce about these first two episodes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think that's it's, it's, it's us. He- it's, it's, it's our joy that was on, on the yeah. line here for this recording. Yes. Um, and this is our therapy, guys. Uh, yeah. We do this for us, not for you. So we needed a third episode to 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 stick the landing. So yeah, we sort of learned our lesson from B five season five of <laughs> yeah. uh, you know there's only the some, dark times sometimes sometimes yeah, you know I mean we had some real issues recording some of the some of that season. Yeah. Uh, we enjoyed it in the long run. Yeah, there were episodes where it's like there's nothing fun to talk about here. Yeah. <laughs> There's only so much I can talk about, like weird, uh, weird '90s liberalism in, in a sci-fi <laughs> setting in the 23rd century. Badly um, Tonight we are covering episodes 15, 16, and 17: Last Call, Ram, and Root Path. Anna, you have Last Call. Take us away. All right. So this one's written by Dan Dietz and directed by Jeff T. Thomas. Uh, so it falls upon me to provide the summary of this episode. Aaron, please enjoy. Please insert fart noise. That wave. Uh, no, no, wait. Um, Zathras, I can see Zathras. He's signaling me via semaphore that I need to provide a little bit more detail. So here we go. My monitor is disgusting now. <laughs> Our number of the week is Sandra Nicholson, a 911 operator. Harold is undercover at this time in the call center, and the threat is from a mysterious caller who's holding a young boy hostage and will blow him up if Sandra doesn't delete a whole day's worth of call logs from the 911 server. Also, the menacing phone voice is apparently pretty tech-savvy because he's monitoring her via a teensy-tiny little webcam that he's, like, hot-glued to her headset um, and uses cell phone relays to evade both Reese and Shaw. When Harold asks Fusco for help in determining which of the many, 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 many calls is the relevant one, it actually turns out to be related to a murder that he's helping a rookie detective solve. Fusco confronts the person who hired Mr. Menacing Voice, and she calls him off, except that he still intends to clean up after himself and kill both the kid and Sandra anyway, like he always planned to do. (laughs) John, Shaw, and Harold all save the day, despite a uh, super weird pissing contest between John and Shaw. Uh, why this? Th- and that's the episode. Uh, my notes on this episode are simply no. <laughs> I So I'm to expand on that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to expand on the word no. <laughs> um, so it's so thing we praise POI for. I think when it when when it does very well is being able to take the concept of the number of the framework of the show and genre shift. Yeah. It, like, you know, with the last episode we covered, Prominence, 
you know, we, we got a heist thriller out of it because, you know, you're able to shift it so long as you keep the, the premise, you know? Right. Um, and I mean, the show, the show right now is in a flux state between procedural and, and like cyber thriller. Um, and this is a genre shift into like, I don't, I don't know what to call it, but there's like that genre of mysterious criminal masterminds who are like all knowing and yeah. perfect and, and too perfect. Yeah. And I, I was, I was talking about this and somebody was like, no, you want, you want your villains to be, you want them to be proficient but you want them to at least, like, if you're going to make them, like, this sort of vague, enigmatic figure, make them foil foilable through their own, like, hubris. Right, right. Or establish ways that you can get around it that make it an interesting thing. Because for the first 40 minutes of this episode, if like, 35, 40 minutes, it's just the team being dragged along on a leash. Right. And, and it even goes... So far as like whenever whenever the team does something clever, it immediately like sticks up the middle finger at them, like like mm. when, when Harold's like, okay, okay, I can help you here. You have to make sure never to have me in your field of view. And literally, the next scene, she looks straight at Harold, and mysterious voice is like, ha ha, I caught you. You have help. I'm going to explode a bomb now. And it's like that could have been interesting. That the dynamic of having like her never able to face him and having them communicate that way. And, and they immediately trashed it instantly. Yeah. Yeah. It's so I'll tell you why I, I, I actually do have opinions beyond no for this episode, <laughs> but I'll tell you why I say no. And that's because everything this episode does, it does wrong with a few exceptions, but in general, this is an episode that just misfires on all, on all its, fundamental efforts it's not well written it's central idea is bad uh the the guest actress's haircut is really embarrassing it's just a miss uh person of interest has very few episodes where every part of it is a miss except for like the coincidental shit that happens in the background and this is one of them where yeah. I mean, other than like Fusco being good and somebody knowing the difference, as you, as Anna points out in her notes, the difference between amps and volts, like that Thank should God. not be the highlight of an episode that somebody actually knows like how electricity works. But like that's a legitimate highlight. Yeah. And not only that is like I, I love me some good tropes. There are many, many tropes that I really enjoy. The tropes that this one uses are not amongst them we've got the like kidnapped kid with a bomb strapped to him which i never enjoy we've got the content warning for you know Child death d- yeah in like the 911 operators past like that's really gross yeah they're they're bad tropes done badly which is yeah. just like this is an episode that i i legitimately don't think i have watched since the first time i watched it I've maybe watched it once since then, and it was worse than I remembered. And I, God, what do you even say? Except the only thing that that I that stood out more powerfully than I remembered 
was how bad her haircut is. I do, I, I do like that Fosco is like once again portrayed as competent and like he actually has a decent plot line, but like that's it. I think the competence Fusco gets to show, as well as, like, the respect he has of his co-workers following yeah. taking down HR, that's, like, probably my favorite part of the episode. Yeah. yeah. But other than that, like, and, like, I think the original part, I, I think if they had leaned more into the setting of a 911 operator's office, I think right. you could have done something interesting there. And like Harold being the one undercover is interesting, but it yeah. it doesn't really it doesn't quite make it um it doesn't quite make it through. Agreed. Yeah. Um, and and I think it's just one of these things that it's like I think somebody had seen like you know, maybe it was like somebody had an idea, but it just doesn't execute properly. And yeah, I, I this is I think this along with Sugar Man are like my top two skips. Yeah. Um, I, I don't foresee myself watching this one again. The The other thing that drove me absolutely bananas is the, the through line of John being like, I am a manly man who never needs any help or assistance or teamwork from anybody ever. Fuck off, Shaw. And like, that's, that's just completely, to me, it seems completely counter to all of the characterization that we've had yeah. from him in the past. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it, it, it just, it feels off. Like everybody's characterization feels off in this episode a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know what this episode feels like? It just hit me. This episode feels like somebody, like a guy who wrote NCIS or Law and Order episodes. Yeah. Got called in at the last minute to write an episode because their regular writer got the flu and couldn't finish. Right. It's funny you bring this up because I looked I, I looked it up because I was like if this I'm isn't right, the first if this I'm isn't right. the first episode that Dan Dietz has written. No, it is not. He he in fact has he will he's he wrote eight episodes of the series. Are any of them good? Um two pi R. Okay. Um like like which it. is the one where Finch goes undercover as a as a teacher. That was pretty decent. He likes Finch undercover, apparently. He also did, tr uh, you know, and, and and that is that appears in the other season two episode he did, which was Trojan Horse, the one with the the tech CEO. Um, oh, yeah, and that, so he, that was that, also a decent episode. Yeah, um, and he also did the one with Gosh, what's his face? Um, the one where they introduce Vigilance. Uh, hmm. With the with the detective who like looks into people dead people's houses. Oh, we, that's like, wild. Oh, we like that's wild. which is a great episode. Yeah, yeah. it's I don't. But yeah, also has Harold undercover. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I guess this is like wow. his thing that he likes. And then I think and like he writes one more episode, which is I think the season finale of the season. And then um, they gave him the finale much. after this pile of shit. Wow. <laughs> no, sorry, sorry. No, he doesn't. It's episode twenty-one. I forgot how many episodes were in the season. So it's like the the penultimate, penultimate episode. The season the pen penultimate. <laughs> yeah, got it. But that's that, that's co-written as well. So I mean, you know, and then he and then he moves over to be a, a story editor. I okay. I, he did write. He does write like one matter episode in season four, which is 
Um, one that I really like. It's a good Harold episode. Nautilus. Apparently, he just really likes Harold. Oh, which I he mean, wrote Nautilus. Yeah, that's a good episode. Yeah, which uh, yeah, it's it's weird because I'm just like this is very all, all over the place. It's like the one thing is like I I guess this writer really likes Harold, but at the same time, <sighs> yeah. I mean, who knows who who knows who else was in the writers' room too, yeah. right? I, yeah, like, I think the important thing to note is that like no no singular person writes television anymore. Yeah. yeah, right, right. Because like I could definitely see if somebody else was in the writers' room, like like you said, Jude. It's yeah, it really feels like the sort of thing that you would expect in like NCIS or Law and Order in terms of the like race against the clock to save the kid with a bomb strapped to his back. And like, you know, all, all of those things are pretty par for the course in those sorts of procedurals. And it's just like including a bunch of those tropes without like examining them or subverting them in any way, et cetera, just really. And then you, and then you add the like weird dick measuring between Shaw and John, um, yeah. which just goes against like, Shaw's a little bit more independent, but it was John in this one who was like, "No, I, I never, I never need help from you ever." Which seems it's just so wildly out of character for him, honestly. Yeah. Also, I, we're gonna get onto this of like how if you are going to have your villain just be a voice on the phone, it's got to be a good voice, <laughs> right? This is just like the most generic, the most generic voice, and it just does not work. Yeah. All right, we can move on. I think we have kicked this episode enough. At least yeah. there was somebody in, in the writer's room who knows the difference between amps and volts. And for that, I will be eternally grateful. I mean, sure. <laughs> All right. Um, we have episode 316, which is Ram, written by uh, Nick Van Zebrock and Michael Sapinski, uh, directed by Steven Sergic. Our number this week is a flashback. Back in 2010, as it turns out, we are going to learn about Harold's previous helper monkey, an ex-Blackwater operative named Rick Dillinger. After saving and sleeping with a woman named Haley, who was uh, who found out about her boss's embezzlement schemes, their no- new number is a computer programmer, Daniel Casey. Dillinger is much less covert about his activities than Reese and alerts Casey by being indiscreet with a friend of his when trying to locate him. While trying to track Casey, Rick spots two people also tailing him. Two CIA agents. Hey, wait, we know those faces. It's John and Kara. Uh, I told you Kara would be back. I mean, in the, yeah, sure. In a flashback. (laughs) And it's. (laughs) No. <laughs> Casey, as it turns out, is trying to whistleblow about a government activity, but the person he's meeting with, a senatorial aide, is in fact an imposter. As Casey goes to leave, Rick tries to rescue him, but John and Kara abduct Casey, and frankly, like, John beats the shit out of Rick. <laughs> like, this is like, this is like embarrassing how bad Rick gets his ass beat. <laughs> A group of gunmen led by the senatorial aide imposter uh, interrupts things, and Rick rescues Casey. Under threat from uh, Dillinger, Casey reveals that he had been hired to test a government system, some hyper-secure machine. 
Harold, realizing what the fuck is going on, tells Rick to take Casey somewhere safe. Rick takes him to the library, and Harold questions him, finding that Casey was hired to break into the machine. Casey pulled some code from the machine using a back door, but then abandoned the job once he realized what was going on. The government then tried to kill him, but he went on the run. As it turns out, the man who was posing as a government aide is, in fact, a Decima agent. Harold arranges for the laptop with the machine's code to be sold in the dark net after doing a little bit of alteration to help draw Decima's attention while arranging for uh, Casey to leave the country with fake papers. Rick, however, betrays them because, hey, the laptop's valuable, right? Let's sell it to the Chinese. <laughs> Casey runs and contacts his friend for forged documents, but as it turns out, he's being coerced by Kara and John. Harold tries to stop Casey from going, but John catches up to Casey. But John has been having second thoughts, and he thinks Casey's an alright guy. And while Kara's waiting for him, the Decima agents show up asking Kara to speak with Casey. Kara says no dice and just decides to waste everybody. God bless. She's so cool. John fakes killing Casey and gives him an escape route to Canada while having him pull his molars for proof of death. Ugh. Which I cannot imagine. Nah. Ugh. No. Ugh. Like, I, no. Uh, no. I just say, put two in me. Two in the chest, one in the head. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to live that much. Um, <laughs> Harold tries to stop Dillinger from selling the laptop, but Dillinger refuses to stop as Harold refuses to reveal anything about the situation. Rick thanks him for the job and leaves. As he goes to sell the laptop, the buyers and Rick are killed by a government assassin. Oh, hey, it's our girl Shaw. <laughs> everybody's uh, here what? yeah it's like oh yeah everybody in the cast we had to we had to have them show up except for fusco i think this is like the only episode fusco doesn't appear in in the first three seasons uh one person escapes the laptop and the office of special counsel reveals that they have attracted that they have tracked the laptop to of uh, three guesses of the first two note count fucking ordos we, we are saved that thankful flashback that they have used 10 <laughs> times already um but in the present in a cabin in canada casey receives a visitor it's root with plane tickets to columbia to meet with a man named greenfield oh hey remember that guy in the first vigilance episode who root saved they have a mutual friend and she needs their help da, 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 da. there's man this episode's a fucking roller coaster yeah it's funny, you two you two both were like dissing this episode, but I, I felt like it was pretty decent. Like it Like I said, it's a yeah. roller coaster. It's all over yeah. the place. In that there's there are parts of this episode that I really like. I don't know. I'd be fascinated to sit down with the people who made this episode and be like, okay, truth serum time. Did you plan it this way? Or did you just be like, okay, somebody reminded us about that we have this briefcase thing we have to resolve. So let's just tie this shit up before we move on to the rest of our show and we yeah. evolve our show into something new. Let's let's close the loop on th this hanging plot thread and move on. I think it, I, it really feels it, it is a very good, like well-executed retcon at least yeah. to tie everything together and show us that Decima has always been in on it. Yeah. Yeah. In some way. I know what I and looking and looking back on like my previous thoughts about this episode and like going here, my distaste for this episode, or at least my like perceived distaste for it in the past, was mostly because 
I think the actor for Rick Dillinger is a complete, is a complete like waste of that possible role because I think in this instance, there, there are two ways you could go with a character like this. You could either have him be somebody who's too by the book and too good and gets himself killed for that. Or you can have him be an absolute scumbag. And they tried to go for the second, but didn't fully commit. Yeah, it's it's almost too bad that like Simmons as actor is used up because I feel like he would have done a pretty good job as Dillinger. I could see yeah. that. Yeah. See, oh, so funny thing. Um, Simmons as actor is in Black Panther two playing a CIA dude doing re- like doing a mi- a mining operation oh, in the wild. In, in the ocean bed. Like he's literally doing environmental exploitation as part of the CIA and it is the most yeah no that's the Simmons role you want. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Cuz I feel, I feel like he probably would have done a good job at like scumbag Dillinger. Yeah, I mean like yeah. The fact that he's ex Blackwater is like no, he needs to be like 5 to 10 years older. And yeah, a horrible human being. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the problem is he's slot. You have to believe that Finch would trust him enough to hire him, but also that he's dirty enough to do the things they want him to do in the episode. And yeah, they missed it because he's just sl- he, he, he plays it just slimy enough that you, you dislike him the second you see him. Yeah, but not enough that you really get the sense that he's that that the his actions match his character. So he right. just feels off the whole time except for the fact that you dislike him instantly and you never really get comfortable with him with anything he's doing. And he's yeah. not even like putting on a facade of being a nice person in front of Harold or something like that. Like No, he's yeah. he's just an asshole. It's for me the way that this fell a bit flat was structurally that I I feel like when you've got this sort of like deep backstory episode where you're you're going way back i feel like at least for me i always like to have context from the start about like why are we getting this now as opposed to half a season ago or half a season from now right like why why are why is this right at this instant do you want the do you want the doylist answer (laughs) i let me finish my point first and then you you can give that to me um because Yeah. yeah i always like to have the watsonian answer of like you know why are we getting this piece of information at this point in the narrative? And it takes until the end of the episode for everything to tie in. And I feel like I would have at least, the way that I would have restructured it is put, to put the very last scene where Root appears um, at the start. And then we'd have the explanation of like, who is this dude? Mm-hmm. I can see that. that. Where, that we ca- who is this dude? Why do we care? It would remove the tension of like, is he going to survive or not? Uh, because that's an open question throughout the episode because Dillinger is fucking up so badly um, and is up against John and Kara. It, it, it would have it sacrificed a little bit of tension for the sake of context from the start because it, you hit the end and you're like, oh, that's why we're seeing him. Yeah. But, but like tying it in from the start, I, I would have liked it better. I could see that making a lot more sense. It also kills me that the number was not in the next episode because I was like, oh, they're introducing the number, like they're introducing somebody who will be in the next episode because I know that the next episode is about Root because it has Root in the name. Um, And then I was like, where is he? He's name checked. Where where did he go? Yeah, no, he he gets name checked, but he also, but he appears later in the season, but it's, yeah, it's, uh, 
which is another another thing of like, but but why are we getting this right at this instant? So what's what's the uh, what's the Doyleist answer, Justin? They didn't think of it before. <laughs> that's I, that's simple as it before of like like you know yeah decim well, like we don't like we get des we get some instances of decima in season two, but it's like at this point we're gonna see like they step on the gas for the decima plot line, mm-hmm. yeah. And this is this is here to tell us that they've always been here, but um, like. Why now as opposed to the episode before they the episode before we see Daniel next, right? Because I mean it, it's I yeah. part of it is because episode 16 seems to be a prominent number in the series. <laughs> part of it is like it could have just like I, I have no idea like what production is like, but it's probably like, oh hey, it's when we can get that guest actor in. Yeah. Or it's just like, oh hey, this is when it slots in and everything. Yeah, but I, I felt like it was a like overall well executed episode that just like was lacking in context when you turn when you you know start when you started it up and start start watching. Yeah, I, yeah. I guess the, I guess for me, there's just that that's not a problem because it it eventually tangles everything together and like it gives you and at least for like why you're here. It's at first it's like oh hey this is just a weird look into Harold's past. This is interesting mm-hmm. and like this is what it originally was and. Oh, it, and it is interesting to see Harold back even before the pilot of like back to his I'm a very private person. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I love Emerson does a great job in this episode, especially with the with his physical acting and, mm-hmm. you know, as the kind of mid rehab Harold yeah. that, you know, he's he's kind of alternating between walking and using a wheelchair. He's in PT, you know, his his limp is substantially worse than it is normally in season three yeah it's one of those things where it's like harold in season three now has gotten a lot of help not just from a physical standpoint where you know he is i mean he's not like he he still has you know pain and stuff from his injury but he's also like he is managing his ptsd very well yeah, he's he's grown and healed quite a bit as a consequence mm-hmm. of his relationship with John. And this episode is a really interesting look back at a reminder of how much he's changed. It's an this episode is very much an inflection point episode, as Justin mm-hmm. was referencing. And I think it's interesting that we get a look back at in this episode where we see things were were shown how who Harold was before he met John and we're shown sort of a flashback to how things were in the past. And we also get this, all these plot lines wrapped up. And then we see that, Oh, well, it turns out Decima was there the whole time right before the, our, not just the foot, but like the thousand pound lead weight is going to come down on the gas pedal starting in the next episode. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I doubt that they intended it to all like that. They planned it to be that way. But that's kind of how it worked out, and I like it. I like. I'm. I'm convinced that this was absolutely a retcon, but it's a. Yeah. It's a well executed retcon. Yeah. Yeah. I think. I think one of the things that is, as two comics fans can talk about, uh, Jude. I think like the best retcons are the ones that are additive, the ones that flesh things out. Not no. This never was really how it happened. Here's what really happened. Yeah. It's it's the ones that weave things together no matter really how batshit they are. Hox pox. And even if they weren't planned, things that 
show how things could have been connected and create a more interesting story. See also yeah. the the current era of X-Men comics. Yeah. I mean the ma- the master of this really was Chris Claremont. And but it's I, it's a great tool especially when you have long form storytelling like TV or comics. And granted of I Something that I that I didn't even know about, but like it was fu- it's funny reading because apparently this episode messes up the dates for all of the flashbacks related to Ordos, oh, no. <laughs> um, and like it makes everything pre season one like that that like eighteen months beforehand just not make sense anymore. But oh, I'm well. like, eh, that doesn't really Try. matter. Who cares? Yeah, I do find it very funny that in this episode, Reese and Kara call their bosses the powers that be, which which is just funny for me because I think when I think Amy Acker and powers that be, yeah. I think of Angel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, uh Daniel Casey is like I it's it's the it's a fun continuation of the trend of pe- of people who accidentally stumble on the machine. Yeah. And yeah, no, I I, I just really like that and and Casey is different and goes about everything differently. And it's like, you know, I think it's sort of crucial to like the tension of the episode and the emotion and like maybe the emotional storytelling of the episode that the the present day scene happens last because you get left with the question of wait, if, what if Casey doesn't survive? Is this why Harold like, you know, maybe mm-hmm. is it like it's just Harold feel guilt over this. I, yeah. I think that could be interesting. Um, yeah. I, I I just because I like the tension of it. Uh, yeah. And I find this really interesting of how like Harold just like Harold and John are just like constantly. I, I think like, the phrase you're looking for is star-crossed lovers. <laughs> I, I mean, really? Yeah. I mean, the first time Harold hears John's voice uh, is telling is telling Casey, I've seen the eyes of the traitors. You haven't done anything wrong. Yeah. And it's like, oh, oh, so now we know now we know why Harold thought of this person as mm-hmm. somebody to recruit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd like to I'd like to maybe spend a few minutes talking about Dillinger versus John in terms oh, yeah. of Yeah. Like just in terms of everything, right? Because yeah. like John's also kind like it's he's not a scumbag the way that Dillinger is, but like it it's interesting. Sure. It, I want to compare them. What well, are you, I mean, your guys' thoughts? I mean, Dillinger, I, Dillinger puts the label on the outside of the box. He says, as long as the, the check's clear. Yeah. yeah. Which is, which is the most important distinction, I think, because like you, you are very clear that Dillinger is a mercenary. He's fucking black. He's fucking ex Blackwater. Like I cannot, like in terms of evil things, like <laughs> in the public consciousness, maybe in 2012, there wasn't as maybe a strong thing. But in 2022, yeah, yeah, fucking. I think. Sorry, it's not black any Blackwater anymore. It's Academy. I think for for it for Harold, he tries to solve his problem the way he does everything at that stage, which is he just buys it, mm-hmm. and yeah. it doesn't work, obviously, because yeah. he, he's it's too new, it's too complicated of a thing to just by the solution. So instead he has to find someone that can share, share the mission with him. Yeah. Because I think yeah. he realizes he, what he needs is not another tool. He needs another Nathan. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and it's also we we've got the we've got the thing with uh, Dillinger gets the tea order wrong, right? Like it's like he's he's both upset about Harold not giving him information and also like is not actually very observant. He, well, he's utterly dismissive of Harold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh he he treats Harold very badly. Um in very small ways that tell Harold that this guy does not respect him. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but you also get the sense that Harold does not respect Dillinger particularly either. No. Yeah. yeah, absolutely not. But I think. Which is why, which is why this all breaks down and like, and Dillinger offers like, like for all it is. And I'm like, this is part of the reason why I'm like, you get such mixed signals at the end of the episode. Dillinger offers Harold an out. And he's like, if you tell me anything, I will stop. Otherwise I am going to do the thing that is best for me. I think, I think Harold. I think Harold made the right call, though, because at that yeah. point, Dillinger had shown that he is willing to use that as use that as a negotiation tactic with Harold. Yeah. essentially, of like, if, tell me information or I'll betray you. Yeah, I. But yeah, the fact that Harold reveals absolutely nothing about what is going on or anything, I. It, it's Harold is not emotionally ready to work with a true partner. He has an employee. Um, yeah. And it's not until like, and the reason why John works is because John can be a partner and like, and John doesn't care about the money. It's, it's revealed that I think in season one that John gives most of it, most of his paycheck away. Yeah. Yeah. And not only that, but I mean, at the, at the start of season one, I feel like Harold does treat John a little bit more like an employee in terms mm-hmm. of like being the very private person, etc. Though they have some banter and stuff like that, but their their lives are very separate. But also he does trust John enough to give him the the skeleton of what's going on, like how he gets, you know, how he gets the numbers, mm-hmm. you know, where are they coming from? What do they mean? You know, what what exactly is happening here? And John, with that context, I think has something to has something to work with um, that. You know, I think that Harold learned his mistake on that of like, you can't keep somebody completely in the dark. Yeah, I think that also ties into the fact that he also feels like he owes John. He feels responsible for John because of the thing with his ex-girlfriend. <laughs> and probably because of this, too. Yeah, yeah right? a little bit. Because it's like, you know, it it was... Harold air quotes interfering in this situation that got John sent to Ordos. Yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah, that, that entire situation is just so funny now. Yeah. And like, g- gotta love a good retcon, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I also love fucking love how unhinged Kara is in this episode. Oh God, the wasabi. Jesus yeah, Christ. Fucking putting wasabi in an open wound is just like, who even thinks of this shit? And not only that, driving it in with the chopstick. Oh, Kara, Kara does. That's who. Because she's yeah. nutty as squirrel poo. And I love it. She's great. Our lady of our, our patron saint of girl bosses. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, there, and then there's like she, she, you know, goes through various torture methods and also like jokes about like, what if we took over the drug trade for Christmas and burned it all down by New Year's? <laughs> I love her. Yeah. Yeah, it, no, it's it's delightful. I would watch a show about Kara just for what it's worth. Um, I also really enjoyed Dan, uh, Casey this episode. He he does like in the the somewhat limited time he has on screen does yeah. like he he does well with connecting with Harold. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, he's just he like overall he's very sweet. 
which yeah. is it's it, it just like an interesting thing. I'm glad. Yeah, we, we'll get a little more of him, which I enjoy. Uh, are we ready to move on to Root Path? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I do want to say that there this episode does have one serious major flaw, which is that what the fuck, Harold? You have gas generators inside the library? So apparently this entire show is just a carbon monoxide hallucination <laughs> and they're all dying. That so explains a lot, that. honestly. Listeners, never, ever, 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 ever run a gas generator indoors or in anything that even vaguely resembles indoors. Not your garage, not your garage with the door open. Like, gas generators go outside. Otherwise, you will die. I have, I have a great feeling that maybe the, the writers of this episode are, um, are Dutch and Polish. I don't know what I'd call them. Like, our constant... We keep we keep running into these boys like passing ships in the night. Uh, do not know how indoor ja- gas generator like do not know the dangers of using indoor gas generator. Yeah, I get the feeling <sighs> that's the case. And right right on the heels of of knowing the difference between voltage and amperage, it's it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. I really friends. think that like ninety percent of these things that you see like you see in fiction, really it just depends on like the fact that writers are not technical people or no. Here, here, no, here's, here's, here's my clarification on this. Writers amass a huge amount of technical knowledge because the instinct is to spend like, I mean, the instinct is to spend like three hours in Wikipedia researching how something works, um, like trying to get the correct bullet magazine count for a Colt 1911. Um, you know, stuff like that. Don't look at me like that. I just, I, I used to write a lot, um, but it's like, you know, it really like in these sort of situations, like these sort of technical things, it really just depends on like, is the right person to read this line and say, wait, this isn't right. Yeah. And, and this is one of those things where like, it would have been perfectly fine if they had just like never specified what kind that of generator at all. And just be like, and then, then I in my in my own head could just like believe that Harold has like solar panels on the roof, or or the generators something. are on the roof, right? Or or something. Yeah, yeah. But by God, they, they had to put that in there. And I'm like, no, no, why? Have, having grown up in you know rural <laughs> middle of the woods where one does have a gas generator for for reasons that involve you know. Uh, that time you had a power outage that was 20 days. Um, <laughs> yeah, my hooks have generators up at their place. Never yep. touched one. Never seen one. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you do get one, Jude, never operate it inside. Not even in the basement? <laughs> episode three, episode 17, season three, Root Path, was written by David Slack and directed by Jeffrey Lee Gibson. Hey, we have a new intro, except not kind of, uh, we get our intro from Root's point of view and it gives us a little bit of a warning that this is going to be a very special root episode. We get a brief recap. Yeah, I said it. I saw that scowl of dismay. Uh, we get a brief recap of Root's arc from villain to the machine's, uh, analog interface. We get some nice 
machine view stuff. And then we see Root busting the guy out of a prison transport bus as she acts as the machine's hand. She uses this man, who bears a sufficiently close 85% resemblance to a German scientist, to intercept a package and then heads off. In return for his help, he gets a tip on a fellow dinosaur lover in prison to befriend before he is arrested again. <laughs> I, I'm just stating the it's, facts. It's, my, it's one of my favorite random lines. Yeah. The package, a letter, leads her back to New York, where she is directed by the machine to take a janitor to breakfast. The man, Cyrus, seems bizarrely blasé about the whole business, and Root can't figure out why he's important. Root eventually runs into Finch on a walk in the park, where we learn that Cyrus is the team's new number. At Cyrus's apartment, as Root packs a bag for Cyrus in anticipation of an attack on his life, that the machine has warned her about, she discovers a picture of his partners from his days in finance. And she discovers that she is the reason that he is the way he is. We will learn later in the episode that back in her chaos goblin days, she murdered his partners. What? Whoa. Uh, or hired somebody to kill them. Well, I think that's a distinction. A fairly, a fairly narrow <laughs> distinction. The legal system, the legal system places, the legal system would would consider her a murderer. Yes, yes. They escape from the attackers who turn out to be vigilants, uh, and from Decima, who have also showed up at the party, thanks to Shaw and Reese, who have been hanging out outside the apartment to keep them safe. Uh, we'll talk about that scene later. But eventually, Cyrus ends up getting captured by Decima after Greer uses a cell phone blocker to prevent Root from hearing the machine. Greer forces Cyrus to use his janitorial access to the building he works in to get into a lab where an experimental supercomputing chip is housed that could be used to power Samaritan. Root, somewhat flimped about having been disconnected from the from the machine, goes to goes to an otolaryngologist and gets a cochlear implant. I'm prob pretty sure I said that right. She gets an implant in her now deafened ear, uh, which the machine then remotely upgrades so that it can now communicate with her anywhere, any when, without interruption, solving the Greer issue. Unfortunately, it is not enough to get her there in time to prevent the chip from being stolen, as she takes a detour to save Cyrus, going so far as to taking a bullet for him, so that taking a bullet on the way to save him, uh... And in the end, Finch offers to work with Root, having seen that she is truly dedicated to doing the right thing. Uh, the episode ends with a graphic depicting the machine calculating Samaritan's progress, activating, and the risk to the team. Death of Admin, a.k.a. Finch, is at 68%. I left a lot out of this episode. Those are sort of the, the uh, those are the narrative high points, but there is some, there's so much good stuff going on in this episode. Uh, mm -hmm. The writing in this episode is extremely good. Really excellent stuff happening in this episode, so I, I'm looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, I think one of the things that I think is so strong in this episode is the emotional, especially when you contrast it with the last episode, is the emotional core of this episode, which is mm -hmm. Harold's insistence on the specific person versus Root's starting point of the machine's goals and the, the yeah. prevention of the emergence of Samaritan. And the, the conversation that the two of them have partway through the episode is fantastic. Yeah, the, the conversation in the park. Yeah. yeah it's great. There, it, it is arguably the mission statement 
as I, I know, in, I, I noted in my notes when I was rewatching it, it's arguably the mission statement for the rest of the show mm-hmm. that Samaritan is an emergent threat that needs to be dealt with. And these two very different individuals have very different methods and ideas about how to handle that uh, are going to have to find a way to work to deal with it. And the, and the conversation about Root's past too, um, where she's, you know, they're talking and she's, she's really upset about the fact that she's the one who killed the suit's partners. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, kind of. And here he is thinking that that's part of some sort of like cosmic plan. And she's like, there is no plan. It was me. It's fascinating. And, and I, I really think it's interesting, kind of juxtaposed with how much she's latched on to the machine. Mm-hmm. As something that like does provide her with purpose. Yeah. I mean, it's at the core, it's a very religious debate over at this point. Um, Cyrus is, has sort of like, he has responded to trauma with, or an incredible trauma with a belief in a higher power. He's responded to trauma with a belief in a higher power and putting faith in it and sort of, reducing his life to be as simple as possible. Whereas root has seen, has been, has been exposed to something that she considers evidence of a higher power and is now enacting its plan. Right. Yeah. I think it's interesting that both of them having experienced trauma, he sees it, he sees it as evidence of a higher power. I think root probably saw as a consequence of her trauma believed there was no plan in the world. I think she probably believed that there was nothing. And that's why she latches onto the machine. She believes that the universe has no order to it. And the machine gives it that order. And that's why she's so dedicated to the machine. And it's what makes her so discombobulated by Cyrus's confidence that like, this is all part of the plan. She's like, no, it's not. It was me before I met the machine. It can't be part of the plan because it, the machine didn't do this. I did this. Right. Her her arc in this episode, her arc up through this show is so fucking good. And it's you see it really nicely laid out here for you. So you can really like hold it in your hand and admire how far she's come over the course of this show. And you can see who she's turned into. And it's it's just really compelling. It's clinched at the end of like near the end of the episode too, not at the very end. But Harold asks her whether whether she told Cyrus that she was the one who killed his partners. And she says, No, I, I wanted to, but then I realized that if I did that, that would be for me, not for him. Which was like, Wow, wow, Root's come a long way. Yeah, yeah. I love the character development in Root in this show. And I I just adore it. And I think this is the episode that really like this is the episode for me that really pins root as like she is such an important character to like the soul of this show. So this is the episode where that really starts to become like manifest is the idea that root is very much like the soul of of this show in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's also the libido of this show as this episode also shows from the very good flirts that she and Shaw have in this episode. But yeah, the, 
Um, don't make me look bad. I couldn't make you look bad if I tried. <laughs> oh. Yeah, when she oh well, not only is that line amazing, but she's she goes out of her way to okay. I we have to go through this. She's packing for Cyrus to to flee with Cyrus. There is like important stuff going on. She's setting a trap, like packing Cyrus up, and she sees the energy bar and she stops everything she's doing to throw Shaw this energy bar. And then they have their little line and then, and then Shaw looks up at her and frowns and then like grumbles and then tears open the bar to eat it because she's hungry. And root knew that. Yeah. Which I think, and I want to talk about it, but you didn't hear the, the noise that, that they use in this, in this episode, which it so well to, to indicate that the machine is talking to root. The machine didn't tell root that Shaw was hungry. Root just knew. Yeah. Oh, and, and that, or she was just trying that, or that, or she was doing the flirting thing of like, I tried to hit you. Like she tries to throw the candy bar to hit root to be like, Hey, Hey, pay attention to me. Pay attention to me. And misses. No, no, I don't believe that at all. <laughs> I no, I think she knew that like Shaw is one of those people. Like she just knows when Shaw wants to snack. Well, and and then and then there's the even line better near one. the end. Yeah, uh, which which that's the line that ended up with me pausing and being like, "Well, they've fucked." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which uh, is when at the end when Shaw very brusquely like opens Root's shirt to investigate her gun wound. And starts telling her how to like dress the wound and root. Now, yes, hypothetically speaking, one could interpret the first thing we mentioned as just being wishful thinking on my part. You (laughs) cannot, cannot interpret the way that root looks at Shaw and says, I love love it it when when you you play play doctor doctor." as anything. As anything other than aggressive flirtation. Oh, it's so there good. is it is if they haven't already slept together, Root has been having some very lurid dreams that she'd like to make happen. Because there is some serious energy there, and Root is making no attempt to conceal her interest. <laughs> and I yeah. love it. Oh man, I just this episode has so much good root stuff. Mm-hmm. I love we get another one of uh, Fusco's names for Root. I can't remember now off the top of my head what he calls her, but he calls her something. Coco Puffs. Coco Puffs. Yeah. 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 Which is it's one fantastic. of his regular names for her. He calls her Coco Puffs a lot. Uh, yeah. He also calls her Fruit Loops sometimes. Um, I have a list of I have a list of every name that uh, Fusco has ever called Root. If you want it. Oh, beautiful. Oh, that's amazing. Um. We have Cuckoo's Nest, Superpowered Nutball, Cocoa Puffs, Nutter Butter, Nutella, Banana Nut Crunch, and Princess. Wow. <laughs> I, I love, love it. it. I, I love, love it. it. Yeah. Actually, so I'm I'm sort of realizing something just now. I kind of wonder whether and this is this is definitely a you know, with the retcon goggles on. Um, I kind of wonder whether the girl who was murdered in the first Root episode, or I guess not first Root episode, but... Her backstory mm-hmm. episode? 
Yeah, the backstory episode where John and Carter, Carter are investigating. I wonder if she was the first person Root was in love with. Could be. To the best of my memory, I don't think it, that's addressed, but it wouldn't. But I could be mistaken. Yeah. Yeah, like it's it's not like it's not there textually, but like in the context of all of the flirting between mm-hmm. uh, Root and Shaw, it makes me kind of look back at that and be like, "Huh, I wonder if there was something, you know, yeah. something more going on there, even if like even if neither of them knew it at the time, yeah, or like thought critically about it, yeah, because you know Texas too, yeah." <laughs> Other stuff I really love about this episode, I think I, I mentioned it, the uh, the little bit of sound effect that they built for this episode, uh, that is, th- that's the the first part of the sound that the machine makes when it's sending numbers to Finch, that they play just lightly in the background when, when uh, the machine is talking to Root as just a little like audible hint that she's getting directions is really nicely done. I love that. Yeah. And I also really love on the subject of root getting directions. I love her like high tech new implant. Yeah. So yeah, that is actually I from what I understand, it's a like it's typically like a cochlear cochlear implant for like nerve deafness. Um, mm-hmm. And f- from what I understand, you can. It's not something that lets you regain hearing, but it lets you hear like limited sound, and. I guess what it is is so that the machine can do its like decreasing tones, increasing tones and stuff, you know, using the like the the bone. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, and we don't know what it's capable of doing because yeah. it, it downloads some fancy yeah. super firmware into the thing yeah. while he's trying to like program it, which I think is super cool because it makes perfect sense that a self-programming AI would just be like, yeah, I can handle this. Yeah. And throw a bunch of like intense code at this thing. But I love the idea that this is its solution to like being locked out of its interface is to just like program the meat so that it can't, can't be kept out. Yeah. I was, I was kind of wondering, you know, from the point when root was deafened in that year, I was wondering if we were leading toward her getting a cochlear implant that would allow her to communicate with the machine. Mm-hmm. Well, you um, called it yeah. then because yep, yeah. that's exactly what happened. I do love the start of this episode where she tells um, the prisoner that, that she's safe, that she's busting out. Um, Please walk on my other side. I'm deaf in that ear. <laughs> yeah. Right. Which is a nice yeah. little thing. Um, also, her FBI persona is Augusta king which is the birth name of ada lovelace beautiful <laughs> love it yeah it's God. like her and finch the two of them just incapable of not being their trashy selves yeah. when it comes to pseudonyms oh and, and last last episode we also had somebody named ian Banks, yes. and i was like ah oh, well somebody's a culture fan yeah, that, that, yeah i forgot to mention that i was like oh yeah but yeah, the, overall, there's just like a ton of little stuff with Root in this episode that I absolutely love. I mean, yeah, we could talk all night about like all the the great little character details that they give Root in this episode. And yeah, but I do want to point out that like uh, there there is a nice little thing where Shaw is stuck in a building. Shaw is stuck in a building with a bunch of vigilance people. Oh yeah. And oh, they corner her and they're like, you know, we're not, we're, we're not different. We were betrayed by our government as well. And we want to get revenge on them. And Ruth's like, and Ruth's like, you're right. But you guys are fucking terrorists and I kill terrorists. 
You mean yeah, Shaw. But like, Shaw, Shaw. Where she's like, yeah. yeah. Where she's like, actions matter, fuckers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that you described it in uh, your notes as uh, Shaw does a die hard. She does, though. It's like, very good. She's there, like, t- picking them. Like, you've got the machine view of the outside of the building where it's like threats to asset. And it's like 11, 10, yes. 9. <laughs> <laughs> and she's just like sneaking around taking them out one by yeah. one like it's fantastic i love she's it she's such a she's such a badass and then i love then at the end of the episode uh finch is like you know i'm glad everything's resolved but we still may have a problem and then shaw just like walks in all disheveled and shit and she's just like what problem and finch is just like Whoa? and she does she does a total john mcclain like drink the whiskey pour the whiskey on the wounds yeah yeah it's she's fantastic um like it really was doing it by heart i think we are also we're to mention we got another member of root's team show up in this episode yeah daizo daizo yeah who we don't we didn't see the introduction of daizo but we do he just like literally pops out of nowhere to take uh this the german the suit the fake german guy's picture for a fake id uh, and Root introduces him as, this is Daizo, uh, I saved him last week. Yeah. Or something like that. I saved him from the Tokyo police. And yeah. I like that she's building her own little team here. She's got yeah. Casey, she's got... Greenfield. What's his name? Neil, and now she's got Daizo, and she's building her own little machine team. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's just like, it's a fun little thing, and like, I, I'm like, I want to know more of Root's, like off-screen adventures god damn it Mimo, i'm like you know they can do a spin-off miniseries that was just this they could it, yeah it's it would be great right yeah, yeah. like like have a little you know six episode miniseries mm-hmm. on this that would be that would be pretty sweet yeah, i'd watch it oh we've got we've also got harold pulling out nathan's line oh, yeah. of everyone is relevant to someone mm-hmm. yeah uh because it's it that's actually a nice little bit of narrative mirroring in that Harold is being the Nathan to mm-hmm. Root. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like there's, that. There's a, there's this, when Root is revealing that she was the one who was behind uh, Cyrus's partner's deaths, um, she asks Harold, how bad did you have to break the machine to make it care about people? And then, yeah, that's that's the scene that I love and so Harold much. Harold says yeah. it wouldn't hit. It, it didn't. It's like I didn't. That's what makes it work. It doesn't. The the right. machine doesn't work unless it cares. Yeah, and I I I can't wait to see how that conversation is reflected in root from here on out because I feel like that's a fundamental piece of understanding about the machine that she did not have up until that exact moment. Mm-hmm. And as she kind of comes to terms with, because, you know, up until that point, she still has quite a bit of disdain for humanity. I, I can't wait to see where that goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's going to be great. I, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. Agreed. All in all, uh, a really good episode, particularly for like, machine lore and root lore and root and Shaw flirts. Yeah. And I'm really (laughs) excited to see, I'm really excited for you to see where the, the show goes from here, because this is really, we've talked 
kind of all all season about how this is where the the show like inflects into a different kind of show. Yeah, and this is really the point where the show the show has been heading that direction since the start of the season. But this is the episode where it literally at the end of the episode, it says what it's doing. Like mm-hmm. now, this is a show about machine versus Samaritan, and they'll still have numbers, but like. This has become what this show is about. Oh, no. Our next episode has one of my favorite number episodes. Oh, what is it? Um, so, I mean, guess, guess we'll move into this. So, we're going to be covering episodes 18 and 19, Allegiance, and most likely to... Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait. I saw the... I've seen, I've seen the first one. I have not seen the second one yet. I saw the preview for it. <laughs> on hbo and was just like i need this yeah no the description everything the, I scri- the of. description of uh reason shaw like pretend to be like i i, I can't remember are they fake are they fake married in this one or they got it's the, the blurb i saw was that they go to a high school reunion together yeah. and i'm like i can't remember if they're fake give, give it to yeah, me. no they're not fake together because there's flirting that happens with other people but yeah they go they they, they go undercover at a high school reunion it is like it's exactly the trash you think it is it's on the level of the of the it's it's on recent uh is it like the suburbs? Uh, yeah, it's, it's on it's, that level. It's at the level of the suburbs episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this and this is where you know I love me a good trope well done, and I'm looking forward to that one because the the undercover at the high school reunion is like a top ten trope for me. I love that shit. Oh, it's, it's it's terrible, but I it's love it. So good. Just like just like fake married in the suburbs. Oh yeah, give it to me. Yeah. It, it, overall, this is a delightful episode and yeah I, i'm yeah i'm looking forward to the next two whereas we had like two sn- i we had one and a half snoozers in this one yeah i'm <laughs> we've, we've got we've got a f minus episode a b plus episode and an a plus episode i think we've got like a d like uh, what's that grade that like your teachers would give you when they're like this is unacceptable. Please redo the assignment. <laughs> That's what I would give to last call. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I'm looking forward to these next two. These are fun ones. Um, and we're we're in like the we're in the back stretch of season three, which I'm excited about. Yeah, they're just going to get more and more as these episodes go on. They're just going to get like, like I said, more and more machine lore heavy and plot heavy. Yeah. And we are close. We're we're at the end of season three. We are going to have our conversation about vigilance, uh, which yeah, we'll get to there. Until next time, you are being watched. The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share-alike no derivatives license. So, okay, because we're recording, I'm going to share this because this will go graded like an outtake thing. Oh, good. So... Last month, I go up to San Francisco for a wrestling show with my sister, and 
we get and we we're like okay we just need a place to eat you know let's find a bar or something that we can get to a place in and to be fair to myself looking back or or to critique myself looking back there were multiple red flags that we ignored oh good this story (laughs) Um, i like how this story is starting yeah so we go to the place and like first of all it's like it's five o'clock on a saturday and I am the first person to enter this Ooh. place, which Ooh. I'm like, hmm, I'm, I'm going to ignore that. It's fine. Whatever. When I go to order a drink, like I, you know, I'm like, Oh, Hey, you've got a list of beers and stuff. I'm like, okay, can I get one of these? And they're like, Oh no, we're out of that. We actually are out of a lot of stuff. We have the, we have what we have on like a chalkboard. And it was like, mm. four or five. Oh, that's like more than half your shit you're out of. Okay, I'll, I'll, fine, I'll order, I'll order, that's whatever. And so I'm like, okay, fine, well, well, like, you know, I'm just here to, like, I'm here to carb up because I'm going to be drinking at the show. Um, this is a show where I, in fact, told a 50-year-old man to shut the fuck up, um, because he was being too obnoxious of a fan, which I think I've, like, I appreciate that I've gotten this far in my life where I will shout down hecklers. Um, but I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm glad I'm glad I carved up beforehand, even if this is the sto- this is the story we're leading up to. So I'm like, I order like, OK, Kim gets there and she's like, OK, I'll like she gets her drink. And I'm like, OK, we'll do some mozzarella sticks. And, uh, you know, OK, I want something with carbs and protein. So chicken and waffle sounds great. OK, the mozzarella sticks get there and I cannot explain what is wrong with them. Oh man! Like they're leaving like this tingle in my mouth. Oh no! Oh no! I have no, I have no earthly description for this taste sensation. There's nothing wrong with like the actual taste of the mozzarella sticks. Like there's just some weird seasoning or something that's leaving like this weird tingling sensation on my tongue. Were they like Szechuan mozzarella sticks somehow? No, I I think that was like freezer burn and or mold is probably what he was tasting. So then, oh, it gets the chicken worse. and waffles, the chicken and waffles appears, and now the chicken was fine. Uh, be, like it, it was a you know nice white meat chicken, you know, like pretty good. But if you are like describing chicken and waffles, the waffles you would think are like pretty thick because you're either going to be doling them up in syrup or making it as like some sort of sandwich. Mm-hmm. Right, right. You're expecting like a thick Belgian waffle. Yeah, nah. So I got a I will I will give a pretty decent chicken breast stacked between two ego fucking waffles. <laughs> My God. Wow. The fact that I wow. didn't walk out was just like, you know That's I, amazing. I'm, I'm like, we do not have enough time for me to walk out and find a new place. I will just freaking eat this. Chicken breast and two ego waffles and final pour syrup on it. That is that is some like college dorm bullshit right there. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, that's that's like the sort of kitchen like that's the sort of like chicken and waffles that I would make myself like if I were like you know at the exen- at the end of exams or something. That's what you that's what you cook when it's two in the morning and you're high as balls and you decide I really want chicken and waffles, but it's 19, it's like 2004 and you know, Uber eats slash, you know, Grubhub slash whatever doesn't exist yet. 
So you can't just make somebody appear at your doorstep with whatever food you possibly could want. So you have to actually like either go out and get it or like invent food in your kitchen. So you end up making Eggo waffles and chicken tenders and call it like chicken and waffles. And you're really proud of yourself until the next morning. And then you live in shame. (laughs) Yeah. Thankfully, thankfully, whatever food poisoning I, I might've gotten from this experience, I probably destroyed with the amount of Guinness and whiskey I had that night. Yeah. That's the best way to handle those situations is just, you know, clean it with alcohol. Yeah. All right. 